0: urban robot cat podcast i'm your host travis likens
1: i'm chris rwk and i'm corey from the strange cat toys and
0: we're here for episode 25 but first let's take a second to thank our sponsors first up we have Stickerfied. Stickerfied.com made a wonderful stick for us and they want to do the same for you so make sure to head over to stickerfide.com and place your orders also we have sd prints sd screen printing is a company that made some wonderful t-shirts for us that may be a part of a, con- a contest here very, very soon. So, if you want to keep up with us over on Instagram, urbanrobotcat, Cat, uh, to keep up for details about what we might be doing there. Also, we have No Love City, nolovecity.com, where you can get the full color Urban Robot Cat t shirt. Use the code UrbanRobotCat at checkout, and you'll be able to get 10% off your order. Uh, that is nolovecity.com. And we have T Y O toys, TYOToys.com, where you can get some wonderful DIY platforms to put your art on and sit on your desk, sell it in your store, whatever you want to do. You can head over to TYOToys.com and pick those up. So, Chris. Yes. Episode 25.
2: You sure about that?
0: Yes, 100%. That's
2: that's that's almost two two bakers dozens. What was it?
0: Almost two bakers dozens. So, uh, what have you been up to since the last time we talked?
2: Uh, let's see. I, uh, I had the print release actually with Two and Two Arts Gallery. That came out, and uh, that that was actually a pretty good release. It sold out in about three minutes, so that was pretty
0: cool. So, for for fans that may have missed out on that, is there a chance for a second? alternate colorway edition
2: yeah you're hearing it here first probably uh we're going to end up doing a, a different colorway uh same focal image but the background will be different you know basically because there's a lot of people who were unhappy about missing out on the release so um i spoke to two and two today and uh we agreed we're going to do a, an alternate colorway.
0: Breaking news. That's what we're doing here today. Yeah, there you
2: go. Nice. And now uh, let's see what else. Oh, uh, Corona strikes again. Uh, I lost my job today. I got laid off. That's pretty cool. And uh, that's about it. What's up with you, Corey? Uh,
1: <laughs>
2: how does one
0: follow that?
1: <laughs> yeah. I love setting uh, up Corey with those ones. <laughs> I stepped in some dog shit yesterday. So what is that? Nice. I'm just trying to one-up you or one below you.
2: Well, it's, it's, since you have strange cat money, you just threw those, shows, those shoes out, right? And bought new ones, right? This is a burden to me. Didn't even donate them or nothing. No. Uh,
1: not much going on here. Just uh, same old, same old. Waiting for stuff to come over from China because it's taking forever, understandably, I guess. What about you, Travis? Uh,
0: not, a, not a ton. Been uh, just chugging away here. We did get some new product in for Brian Ewing. We have a new Ghost Boner keychain. It's our first ever uh, keychain, art, art-based art keychain that we're releasing. And you can get that over at uvdtoys.com. Um, but also we had a new pen that Brian created for his store that is the, I can never say this correctly, so you guys can correct me at the end, Nofurasu, Nofurasu. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Maserati. There you go. Yeah, he he produced a uh, a keychain version of that as well. Uh, it's one of his most popular uh, designs. So if you want to head over to his store, uh, the Brian Ewing Bodega, and you can grab one of those while they last. So, but other than that, not a ton. Um, it's been kind of a slow week. So one of those weeks where you're you're you know you're kind of doing your day job, your night job, and you're just feel like you're just holding on. You know, it's just one of those things. It's just kind of like. You know, this, we're going to get through another week of quarantine and see how things go, you know. Uh, you know, things kind of getting behind a little bit on things. But uh, every now and then, you know, life comes at you hard and you just kind of got to, you know, survive. <laughs> yeah, we're having one of those weeks, you know. But we did get some good news this week, guys. It was a 12-week appointment. I don't know that I've said this on the show, so I'll say it again. My wife and I are expecting a baby. We're 12 weeks in. Everything is good, and uh, that's great news. So
2: that's why he's all tripped up. He's got baby brain.
0: <laughs> it's already starting. It's creeping in. <laughs> It's like brain rot.
2: Now we're really happy for you. So, and
0: I appreciate your sentiments. I guess is the correct word I'm looking for there.
2: Don't ask me. I don't know anymore.
0: We aren't just here to talk about how awful and strange our weeks have been. We do have <laughs> a wonderful guest that is going to change the excitement level of this podcast. That is the one, the only below key. Welcome to the show.
3: Thank you. Thank you. What's up, guys?
0: It's going well. If you wouldn't mind telling the fans what it is that you do in the uh, the world of art,
3: well, I go by below key. And I'd like to think I'm an artist. Uh, I spray paint, I screen print, I paint. I make stuff. I like making things, basically.
0: So when did you uh, start making things? Were you somebody that created from, basically, childhood?
3: Yeah, yeah. As a kid, I've always liked making things, whether wood or painting on wood and nailing things together drawing play-doh the whole nine I always try and be creative
0: so at uh, once you were in sc- once you were in school did you end up going to school for art or did you go start out on a different trajectory
3: yeah I-, I took like one art class in high school that's the most art education I got I think graffiti brought me into the art world
0: so at what point did you start doing graffiti
3: between 12 and 13 years
0: old uh, so you were young and
2: yeah yeah it's kind of funny I, I try to explain to people how like graffiti, pushed me towards like fine art stuff and they just don't understand that they would think it would like the two completely separate worlds and they don't understand
0: vandalism versus fine art
2: yeah it's combined exactly well yeah i mean people don't think of like you know graffiti as any kind of art form they just kind of think it's graffiti and they don't realize things like color theory ladder structure form all those kind of things they just yeah. think of you know tags that's it all uh, every
3: design element that there is is involved in graffiti
0: yeah definitely because i mean, just even the like creating like the perspective and the size and the shapes of letters and everything like that. You know, there's a lot of skill that goes into that. When I look at it, I'm like, wow, I don't even understand how somebody thinks to do a letter in that shape or style, let alone, you know, once they start layering the colors on top of it and everything like that, it's just my mind does not work that way, I guess. Even
1: on such large scale, seems kind of hard to wrap your your brain around.
0: Yeah. I think that's something that people kind of underestimate, right? Like a lot of times, you know, somebody that paints like, you know, eight by 10 canvases or whatever it's like oh yeah like we well, come out and paint this mural it's a big jump to go from like small scale to like let's paint on a 60 by 40 wall or something you know like that's just totally it's almost like a different skill
3: it is i think it is understand how to translate that uh that scale
0: yeah because you could be like the best person at painting a you know four inch by four inch square but uh you know, when you got to blow that up, it gets you know, the perspective changes and all that stuff.
1: I've seen people use like projectors. Is that that's, frowned yeah. upon? That's what I was about to say. I was about to say, you <laughs> could
2: actually try and figure out how to do this, or you could just take that small drawing and project <laughs> it.
1: Yeah.
0: So that's uh, that's like me tracing, right? Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think Below is in the same kind of school of me and then in, in, in thought. When it comes to that kind of stuff, I mean, I, I I understand there's projectors for like people who are doing jobs and stuff like that, but yeah, that's what I was going to say. If it's a
3: job you're getting paid for, it, you want to get in and get out. Why not? I wouldn't do it.
0: So on uh, on like large scale walls, are you strictly spray can, or are you using, or would you ever use a brush or anything like that?
3: If I needed to, maybe, but I like being able to go as small as I can with the can for details. I push myself to try and do that. And, and stay away from brushes or markers for little fine things.
2: I mean, if you're familiar with Blow's work, I mean, there was that one bodega, bodega piece that you did that had mm-hmm. all those little details that were just mind-boggling when it comes to, like, spray can. Yeah, that was that was nah. fun. Hey, I can imagine. I mean, that was, that was a great piece. It's like, when, uh, I think, I forget who it was painted with, and we, we were talking about going over that piece, and I was like, are you sure about that? With <laughs> word. You guys yeah. asked, both asked, I'm okay with it. <laughs> well, I, I, I said as long as you were painting with us, I wasn't going to. Which is painting. awesome. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> right.
1: For the uh, the people that don't really know or aren't inside the graffiti or wall mural scene, how how much do the caps make a difference?
3: Um, I, it makes a difference. From what I know and how I am personally, I've just gotten comfortable with like two to three caps tops, and that's just what I use. There's a lot of other variations of skinny caps, fat caps, but. I think most people they just get comfortable with a few and that's what they stick with.
2: Yeah, for me it's usually like a New York Fat and like the Level One Green Montana caps.
3: Yes, I would instead of the Level One, I just use Universal. But I yeah. agree, New York Fat and Banana for me.
2: I like the Banana caps and I've actually been using them more and more lately. But there's something about the Level One. I don't
3: know. It's just it's a it's a very small round caps. It is cool. It is a good cap.
2: Yeah, it's I think it just gets like better cuts for me. Corey, Corey, and Travis have no clue what we're talking about. <laughs> it's like a question. skinny to a
3: fat marker, you know. It's yeah. like
1: yeah, a yeah. fine
3: brush to a, a bigger brush.
1: This hasn't like always been an art form. Like, did the caps come about from people like tweaking, like tweaking regular caps until they finally started being manufactured, or were different caps always around?
3: uh from what i do know because i wasn't around when all of this started but from what i understand people were stealing caps off of cans that were for different purposes like uh like jiffy um like grease cans or like oven cleaner cans and and they would have different caps and and that's what people are using for their fat cap or their skinny stuff like that
2: a long time ago before i before i was able to like make it to places like scrapyard and stuff like that and buy fat caps and stuff like that we used to take them off of a sneaker cleaner Yeah, because it just came out like a nice fat snowball huh. cap. And and then I finally was able to like make – and actually, no, I was painting one time, and one other graffiti guy was like, oh, you, you don't have any fat caps with you? I was like, nah. He gave me like a handful, and I was like, holy shit, I totally changed everything. And then I figured – Orange dot, the orange rusto fats. Oh, those were so nice. Hell yeah. <laughs> you know, and that was the thing back in like the early 90s. There really wasn't many caps. There was the New York fat, and then there was the orange dot rusto. And then there was like the New York Skinny and like the German Skinny, and the German Skinny was like a gray cap that had like more of a comfort feel to it, rather yeah, that's than the, Mc- the McLean, I think they call it. And then the, I mean, and now I mean, there's a million and one different freaking caps. Yep, and
1: different McLe-
3: spray paint brands release their own caps. There's it's
2: a tons. Yeah, you can get calligraphy caps. You can get all kinds of stuff.
1: Do you guys have a preferred brand of paint? Um, I, I tend to see a lot of Montana when it comes to the graffiti and murals and stuff. The best deal I can, can, can get at the moment
3: is what I will go with. <laughs>
0: He's not discriminative.
3: <laughs> I, I prefer a low-pressure can if I'm going to do a piece, but uh, I've done full Rusto pieces, or like I'll save one
2: low-pressure can for my outline, but everything else is just scraps and whatever I can get for cheap. A low pressure can. What that would mean is, just the paint comes out slower. So it's yes. it's it's better for you know outlines and stuff like that because it gives you more gotcha. of a steady, like a steady pressure. For me personally, I like I like Montana Golds mainly because the, the colors I use for the robot are, iron curtain and gravel.
0: Trade secret. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> I, you know what's funny is I. You know how many times I've had to spray it like on like a piece of paper and bring it to like Home Depot and have them make me gallons of it. Just, just so I could do like bigger robots and stuff like that with buff paint, because a can of paint is like seven, eight dollars now. It's insane, and like a gallon of paint, that could be like twenty-something dollars. So right there, that cuts the cost down tremendously.
0: Now, when you uh, do your murals, Chris, is that water-based or is that oil-based or is? Does because I know you've talked about the oil-based versus water-based spray paints before.
2: So no, that's the markers, like oil-based markers are great for like stickers, yeah. but for like murals and stuff like that, you want to use oil-based, like uh, enamel and stuff like that just never dries. It's a mess. I'm learning. By, by next year, we'll have you paint in a mural.
0: By next year, I'll have somebody else cut a stencil and I will spray over it. While, While we'll you
2: hold get, your baby. Yeah. In
0: one of those like hangover front packs.
2: We'll get your projector. Don't worry. The only thing is you got to paint, you got to paint at night though, because that's when projectors work. I never even thought about that mm-hmm Dude, I, there was so many times we went to paint a wall and like somebody was painting a wall with us and they're like oh you know I, I i gotta wait till the sun goes down
0: i'm like for what
2: <laughs> and i'm like oh the projected i'm like oh and like i'm and then like i just figure out how to move like 10 feet over away from that
0: so um baloki you tend to do a lot of pieces on like salvaged like canvases i I really like the you know the use of labels and different stuff within your work do you just like scavenge that stuff as you're going or are you specifically coming up with ideas and going out and searching for the specific kind of salvaged canvas good question
3: I, i don't know how it started but i'm a hoarder i collect weird random things i think i found a placard on train tracks one time, which is one of those like danger flammable gas or something like piece of plastic. They would slide into the side of the freight. I think that was the first like random found object that I painted on besides street signs and like normal things. And then I just kind of started trying to look for cool things that I like and then vandalize them, you know, just draw on them and borderline ruining it, ruining <laughs> the value of it, maybe, but making it my own at the same time. And it's fun, I don't know. It's,
2: it, that, I've, I went through a good period of time of doing that, and I still do. Well you did a bunch of those hang tags. those are great pieces. and it, it was kind of great because it's like a piece that you know most people would just kind of throw away and they don't like, they just kind of disregard the hang tag, and you took it and brought it to another level of actually a piece of artwork, which is cool.
3: Yeah, I like those. Thank you. Uh, that was some trips to Marshalls and TJ Maxx, just snagging off a bunch of hang tags. <laughs> so I got the hose.
2: Nice. You you had mentioned the, the wood earlier, like when you were a, a kid. You did do a bunch of wood cutouts of your characters. Yeah. A, a few years ago, right? Yeah. What was the process in those? Because I love those. I thought those were really dope. I think I was
3: wheat pasting the characters up first. So I was full color, painting on paper, cutting them out and just wheat pasting them up and uh they were all in the the position of catching a tag like they all had their arm up somehow with a can and then I would catch a tag next to it like they were like the characters were doing the graffiti and I wanted there was interest in it and I wanted it to become tangible somehow so I would I started painting the characters on wood and cutting them out from there you know wheat paste it gets ripped off it gets gone over or it stays there and wilts away so I I thought the wood was a more permanent somebody could have in their house kind of approach.
2: That was awesome. It was definitely uh, those pieces you were talking about with the, the characters catching the tags and stuff like that. Those were brilliant, just because they were they worked so well with like the the locations and the you know the interaction of it. Nobody got
3: those. Nobody even understood the work that was put into them.
2: Which came first, the the tag or the character? When you were doing those pieces,
3: the the character went up first.
2: And then so the tag it was, it was literally
3: like they were catching the tags. Okay. So I would put that up and then position, I, I mean, visualizing it where I was going to put it. I knew I was going to put a tag somewhere too. So I, I had to, you know, figure out where with that in mind, sometimes but, it, it wasn't a good spot. So I would like draw a line going across something and then put the character on the line. Like it was
2: hanging. Yeah. Those are so smart. They're so dope. I love them. Thank
0: you. Now we, we kind of touched on it, but you do have a, a lot of characters that you kind of do, but they all have like a very similar you know, style where they fit into the same world. Um, do you have one that you feel like is your, your signature character?
3: Yeah, the, the little monkey guy. If it even looks like a monkey, I don't even know anymore. It's just, you know, some face is like the one I usually do. When I started, though, it was like I'm going to make as many characters as I can, and then it's just slowly trickled down to only doing a few.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's a it's a real relatable look and character and i feel like every time you know every time you see your characters no matter which one it is because of the style you do them in it's very clear that it's your design and your character and that they fit a part of the same world so i think it's really cool
2: yeah i think between the the structure of the character and the colors you use really kind of pushing that idea you have like dracula kind of character right Mm Mm-hmm. what's his name hippopula I love that. <laughs> Chris is like, I'm just
0: going to make him say it. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Because <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, you guys know that I'm not the smartest man, so I would fuck up saying it. So I'm not going to say hip, hip, hip hop pop pop you know? <laughs> so the characters, so do you have like any backstories for the characters or are they just, uh, you know, they exist in your realm kind of thing?
3: Yeah, I think they just exist. I could ex- maybe like figure out what came when and stuff, you know, and and like why they became what they became, but they all started from the same like, Draw an oval on the wall and see what you can make from there. Nice. Like, as the face and then just mash
2: the body, make them doing something. I really love the collab you did with View a couple years ago, I guess it was. It was the one where it was like the extinguisher tag up top. Ooh, that was a mission. That was fun. Dude, that was if you can explain that piece to the audience and, and the and the other guys, because that piece, I thought it was just insane, just like the, the collaboration of it.
3: Yeah, the, the kid View, he's a very cool kid. For a while, he was really pushing me to go out with him. There was a point and there it's still now i don't really paint illegally a lot but he was pushing me to come out with him he liked the characters and so I, I went with him he brought me to some live train tracks, so there was like amtrak running by and his idea was to do a huge extinguisher and i i was like okay i guess i'm gonna do an extinguisher tag too you know i I didn't know what was going to happen. And then it just came to, he just did it. And then I didn't feel like doing one. I think the, the extinguisher was having issues. Like he only got a little bit out of it. He had to go back another day to even finish that extinguisher. And then I did my character with an extinguisher in his hands squirting at it. But at the time there was no squirting coming out of it because the extinguisher had died. so it was in the position to look like what it looks like and then he had a really cool idea he painted a a fence design in front of all of it to kind of look like the piece was done behind the fence we put some holes in the fence design so i liked how it came out and then he went back days later and finished it and then kind of whipped the last of the extinguisher right into what i drew so he did a really good job bringing that together
2: wait so the fence wasn't Actually, there that no, was painted? Oh, that's, that's painted. <laughs> that's insane. That, I would never have guessed that. Holy crap. The shadows and everything were done perfect on it. Wow.
3: Yeah, he, he did most of that. I just threw a character and, <laughs>
2: you
0: know. Credit where credit's due, right? Yeah. In recent times, I feel like you're kind of exploring a new style. Um, you've kind of, changed up the way you're doing backgrounds and then inserting your characters but in some cases you're almost making like little room scenes that has your artwork featured on it what what are you what are you kind of working on with the the pivot in the change in style and is this kind of like a new series or is this like a new theme that you're going to try to incorporate throughout your artwork
3: i'd like to think both it is a new little collection that i've just started i don't know getting into and I would like to just keep expanding off of new things. I'm in Florida, so I think that just completely changed uh, my my scenery, changed what I'm painting. So that's, I think, why I started doing that.
1: Welcome to Florida. When did you get here? Maybe
3: okay. over a month ago at this point. I don't even know. I'm like not in my real world now, you know. What Everything.
1: part of Florida are you hanging out in?
3: Uh, it's right by Clearwater.
1: Oh, okay. You're like half hour from me. Are you just visiting during quarantine or are you... Uh permanent yeah, resident yeah. My,
3: now my family moved down a few years ago and then uh, i wanted to come for easter and with the timing i was like shit i gotta leave now i'm not gonna be able to fly during easter so i came right. early and i've just been stuck since my <laughs> girlfriend's working from home so she, you know there's no pressure to really get back for her so everybody's just comfortable staying here
1: nice well our, all of our beaches apparently open up next week so. i know i know <laughs> At
2: least you guys, at least you have the nice weather. Oh, I'm catching a tan, that's for sure. Catching a tan, not tags? Yes.
1: I I saw a couple days ago you teased uh, possibly bringing some of your um, streetwear stuff back. And I say streetwear because your shirts don't really come off as just like a t shirt. Like it looks like you maybe were doing a streetwear brand for a while. I
3: like how you uh, are aware of that because Below Key was meant to be a clothing. Oh that was the intention of me coming up with the word below key. So I still have that in me. I still do enjoy making like clothing lines, little capsules. Uh, I do enjoy fashion. So that's an element that I always try and bring back.
0: And I think it's uh, great when you have, you know, a recognizable character that you can kind of incorporate onto shirts and, you know, hopefully fans are able to support and it kind of adds a new element to your merchandising and being able to create more without having to, you know, do tons of paintings and different things that maybe not everybody can you know, access, have access to because of just cost prohibitors.
3: Yeah, I agree. Right out of college, I went into screen printing, so that it, it came naturally to, like, I'm able to do it now myself, so it's just easier. I just nice. print everything myself, too. It keeps cost a little lower. I'm more flexible. I can print, like, six shirts of a design if I want to, if I feel like it, keep it really low. Yeah, and you're in control of that quality?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
3: I do take pride in it.
2: I'll tell you, having that limited run makes it a lot easier. Yeah, because
3: at first, before I learned myself, I made a few designs, and I'm like, I want to make a clothing line. I'm going to drop a few designs. And I got, I don't know what it was, maybe 26 of each of a few designs. And I had, like, a store
2: in my house after that.
3: Like, I was (laughs) sitting on so much inventory.
2: Yeah, but (laughs) people don't realize that. They don't take into account that you know everybody wants to, you know... You know, oh, I love that image. Can you put it on a shirt? It's like, yeah, if you want to print, you know, 26 in this size, 26 in that size, 26 in that size. Right, and, right. You know, it's, people don't get that. They just think, you know, it's, it's a one, two, three, you know, process. Especially with things like with Cafe Press and all that crap now, you know, it's like any, anybody can get anything printed on a shirt yeah
0: i mean uh, the shirts at this point are very similar to most things it's like i just want one of those it's like you can't just make one <laughs> like it just it's not how it works there's <laughs> like, nope. uh, like fixed costs that we have to consider
2: unless you want to spend like 10 grand on a direct garment printer and
3: you know yeah i was gonna say that's the other approach where you can do low quality you you go through a
2: direct-to-garment printer person the shirt it, you know it costs you like per shirt almost.
0: Or I guess you could uh, spend a whole bunch of money and set up like a little screen printing sweatshop in your garage, you know? Yeah. You know, people just don't always consider that because, you know, people have stuff just available all the time, you know, it seems like now, especially with these direct-to-garment things, and people are just like, oh, I'd like to have that or this or that, and then, you know, three people buy whatever you put out or whatever. (laughs) And it's like, you you can't do that with stuff that has like high upfront costs, shirts, toys, Even prints, you know, like you just can't do that.
1: It does seem like a lot of people have come around to the whole pre order spectrum, though. Like, I feel like you could put a shirt up for pre order and then just, you know, order what people put in and then maybe a few extra to meet minimums.
2: Yeah. 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 yeah, But you have to, you have to, you have to hope that the person ordering it reads the whole like description and understands that if it's a pre order and they're not printing for another month. They stuff the wait. You know, it's. You have to tell when you do pre-order. You get that email the next week asking where the shirt is. It's like, huh. you the pre-order means you know it's it's pre-production.
0: Sometimes you get it like a day after it went up. What are you shipping my thing? It's like, I'm not Amazon guys. Like, and it was a pre-order and it was clearly labeled. People get excited, man. They don't read the whole description, I guess. I don't know. They're just so excited to own your thing that they can't wait any longer. Even though you told them they were going to have to. (laughs) Sure.
1: I feel like, most people are understanding like you're going to have the one asshole that you know wants a refund but i would say 99 percent would just be like "Oh, okay no worries
2: yeah but it's that it's it's having to answer those emails and be like no sorry uh that was a pre-order and having to explain it again after it's been explained (laughs) exactly yeah right yep (laughs) (laughs) blind copy blind copy everybody
0: but i think you know with most most folks if you you know you get that email or whatever if you explain copy and paste, most people do understand at that point. It's like, hey, this was a pre-order. I said it was a pre-order. These are the only way these products are gonna be able to be made. I think most people then appreciate the fact that it's like, well, I really want this thing. You know, (laughs) like most people aren't gonna be like, oh, I want a refund.
2: What I think it's funny is always that initial email of them flipping out on you before like even like, (laughs) you know, they like flipping out, where's the shirt, I ordered it this next thing. And then you respond back and you're like, oh, you know, it was a pre-order. And they're like, okay, cool.
0: I wasn't worried.
2: Exactly. No worries. Not like for freaking out exactly well you know it's funny is like i had people you know asking me about going to the gallery to to pick up the print and i was like no the gallery's closed this is online it says online some of those newest styles that you've been doing with the um i don't even know how how would you explain it that like distorted kind of wavy look that you've been messing with how is
3: how 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 it's like a bunch of different shaped boxes and it kind of gets warped
2: well no but yeah those are those are insane but the like say like you had like um i think one recently where it was the character's head but it looked like it was kind of like like a water ripple almost yeah 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 how how do you approach that because that's got to be so kind of confusing to even like plan out between like where like lines lay and like how like you know this ripple would distort to this way i don't think it was
3: successful by any means i was trying to go for it but you know i'm not completely happy with the end result, but, but I just sketched it out, at what I thought would be right, like how to continue the lines in the right direction okay. to look like it was warping. I think it's a cool look. I drew I drew the top half of the character and then acted as if the rest of those lines that, you know, I, I drew the top half and, and like basically cut it off. So now there's all these lines at the bottom that are disconnected, they're not connecting to anything. And I just drug those lines how I would think they would look warped to the bottom
2: and then just finished off the other bottom half of the character. So but that was freehand, so it wasn't like yeah, anything yeah. done. Oh, okay. I because I know there's like some people who do stuff like that, but they'll kinda like create it in like in Photoshop first. Yeah, some ripple effect or some kind of filter. I, I've thought about that. Because I've done
3: it for like product shots and for the clothing. Mm. And I've like warped the background so just the person that's wearing the clothing is the focal point of the photo. So I have considered that. But I don't want to.
2: <laughs> it's like cheating.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want it to be authentic.
2: It's it's the projector <laughs> projector outlook again.
0: Why are you guys dissing my art style? It's right after I finish my stick figure.
2: We also saw your version of the of the logo with zero's half done head thing, so you pulled it off pretty well. So one of these like random generic kind of questions that I always find interesting though, is what out of because you've messed with a ton of mediums between stickers the wood cutouts wheat paste murals you know freights everything what is like been your favorite medium the thing that like if you told you were only gonna be able to paint for a year or two what would it be freights easy only
3: i think because i haven't in the past two years it's what i miss the most
2: i'm sure there's got to be some spots down there in florida I know
3: of one uh, in Tampa. (laughs) I've painted it in the past, and I've found those brates in other places too. So it is an effective yard. I I just got to deal with family worrying about me going out. What am I doing? Leaving with spray paint. I'm like under my parents' roof again now down here. (laughs) Yeah, it's a weird thing. The other thing is that I went through two brain surgeries very like the past year and a half. So I had to just cut that out completely because I can't be up too late at night. I got to like give my brain its rest throughout the night or whatever. So I, I had to cut that out for my health. That that's like the most frustrating part. I think that's why I just really want to get back to that. Cause it's something like painting canvas. I could do all day, every day. Everything I've been through hasn't cut out from that.
2: That makes sense.
3: Weed paste I like too. The reason why I even started doing that was for guerrilla advertising sake, like sake. It was to get the clothing brand out there. I figured, let me make a logo and just put it up everywhere. And it seemed really easy coming from the graffiti approach. I was like, "This is—I can get away with this, no problem. I'm not looking suspicious at all. It's way, for lack of better words, easier. You know,
2: it's just a lot easier." <laughs> yeah, we paste. I, you know, it's funny. It's like the we paste thing. I was never a huge fan of doing them. One thing I never understood with certain weed paste artists is how they just have no regard for graffiti. And they just kind of go over things. And like that, I just, I never understood that mindset. Especially like when you see like a, you know, like a a weed paste, like over a fill-in. And it's just like, do you realize how the difference is there? (laughs) That's crazy to me. I think 2010...
3: I think I started putting up those, like, logo wheat paste things, and uh, I I instantly ran into, like, wheat paste beef and, like, street art beef, and I'm like, I don't fucking, what do you mean? I, like, put up my my logo on, on, like, a big rectangle piece of paper you stuck up over a mailbox that had, like, 20 tags on it. (laughs) Like, you're getting mad at me? How about you? Yeah, exactly there's somewhat of a code still i told the guy i was like dude i had a tag under there including another 20 tags like i didn't
2: start bitching at you reclaiming your space right
1: <laughs> speaking of uh different mediums i saw you did some chalk work uh, on a giant kid robot dunny a few years back yeah yeah that, I, how did uh, that come I to be about that
3: how did that come to be i i i want to say at the time that kid jerk face at the time he was doing uh like group shows and i was invited to be a part of a few of the group shows. And then he just told me to go there. And there was like some event for some artist was releasing a toy. So I went there and I don't know who knew me or something. And they just asked me to chalk it up. I don't really know how exactly it worked out. Somebody told me to go, I went. And then somebody there was like, oh, you should do that. And so I was
1: like, okay.
0: Sometimes it's about being in the right place at the right time. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because those things aren't cheap. I think I think they sell those for like five grand or something. Those giant. I dungeons. can imagine. Yeah, That was big.
0: Jeez. I don't know if it originated or if they had it at the store or what, but they had that at New York comic-con one year and uh, they had different artists out there working on it and they could erase it. And then yeah. the next day have somebody else do it. It was like a quick way for them to be able to recycle it. So I'm sure once they got done it in at New York comic-con, they moved it to the store or vice versa.
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it made me more intrigued in the place. It's definitely, it definitely works.
1: Uh, did you get into any kid robot, like Dunny series? Like I know, well, that like maybe weren't released. Cause I know a lot of artists had art like submissions and stuff that just kind of never came to.
3: No, I never tr- like to apply or anything like that, or like try and get something made. I-, I never have. I've painted on dunnies or monies, like those blank ones when they came out.
1: Maybe do you have any interest in toys or? Oh uh, yeah. yeah.
3: I don't want to say before I was like drawing and painting and stuff, but like the first wave of my Instagram post and putting things on Instagram was when I was in college. I was just doing a lot of like little sculptures for some reason. I was making monsters and just random characters. And then I got into making molds of them and casting them and dremeling all the whatever it's called off the sides of them. I was making two part molds and got a pressure pot. I, I, I like doing things myself. So I tried it. I tried all of it.
1: And it was just a lot of fun. work.
3: <laughs> I made I made like proper packaging for them. I I even came up with like a little backstory for each one of the monsters and put it on the back of the header for it. I even tried to like go to is it Toy Tokyo on Second Avenue? Is that what it's called?
2: Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I went there and was like, hey, I have some resin toys I made. Could I sell them in your store? And, I was younger and they looked at me like i was an idiot like trying to do that <laughs> that's not how it works guy you know don't call us we'll call you
2: <laughs> do you ever think of like getting back into doing those or yeah if i were to i would go
3: into it in a more prof- i don't know if professional is the right way to say it. more strategic like i was just making random characters with no meaning I, yeah they had stories and stuff but i never created a value for them you know they were just a random sculpture I made, and then I would just come up with a story behind it. Now I would like make a character that I've been painting for years now, you know. So it would it would already have more value to it.
2: Nice. So and yeah,
3: I would I definitely would want to. I feel like that's a you know another step into making merchandise marketing have one of you know have like a toy i feel it's a, it's like a next level up like you, if you haven't made a toy you're not good dude
2: <laughs> you're not a contemporary uh, urban artist right
1: you hear that you hear that chris
2: Wait, what's that me
1: your toy hasn't come out yet still
2: no still, i'm still i made it i'm still waiting for somebody to agree to making a two-foot-tall robot so i don't
1: know what <laughs> i don't know what
2: your problem is
3: <laughs> that's wild two feet
2: kind <laughs> not, like,
3: G.I. Joe size?
2: Okay, so if if, ever, if you guys really want to have, like, the, the My Outlook on Toy discussion, I can totally do this. And I'll probably aggravate half the audience. <laughs> that's fine. My think with toys, one thing for toys is I, and that's why I struggle with calling them toys. Because if they are an artist release, then they should have some kind of more of an artistic kind of quality or, or artistic kind of uh, value put on them. So more of like a, a sculpture-related thing. Coming from cartoons to graffiti to art, I always saw figures and stuff like that as more of a sculpture kind of piece. So yeah. when people create toys, and they literally call them toys, for me, there's a, there's a weird loss of value to it. And on top of that, you also have people who design a toy. Half the time, that person doesn't even have like a hand on the toy except for drawing a couple of turnarounds, and then five other people take it from there. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one thing that's always kind of a big disconnect with me and and the whole toy scene. Because for example, if I decided to make the robot, I'm gonna do a couple of drawings. Then I'm gonna give it to somebody who's going to make a 3D rendering or, a, mold or a, a mock-up of it. Then it has to get refined. Then it gets produced to a level that needs to be refined by somebody else there's no hands-on by the actual artist. You know, do you know what I'm saying? I get that. For me, there's a very big, large disconnect, and and a large, you know, value loss. Also, if you create, and I get it, how resin pieces are, you know, uh, smaller runs and stuff like that. But at the same time, you know, unless you're like below, who who made his own resin figures, you're hiring somebody else to make them. So you're losing hand, and then what? You you know, you do get them, and you can hand paint them. I get that, but. I don't know, it's just like a big disconnect for me.
1: I think you just have to look at it as like a product sense, just like a, a shirt or right. a hat.
2: Right, so right there saying a product piece loses some of the artistic quality of it.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's why you'd sell it at, I don't know, $50 versus like an original sculpture by Chris R.W.K. might be, you know, a few hundred or a thousand dollars. Thousands. <laughs> like an original painting versus a print, you know?
2: Exactly, That's that's... Exactly how, like, I look at it, and I love, like, what people do with the figures, and I love the toys, and I, you know, collect stuff, everything. But there's always a weird disconnect for me from the art to the product kind of labeling it. For example, is somebody going to say to, you know, uh, cause, you know, the cause toy, you know, there's still hundreds of dollars. Why? Is it because it's looked at as more of a sculpture rather than a vinyl toy? Yeah, maybe because like where he's also put them, it it looks like you know he's had
3: them in places that are in museums or huge sculptures that are in parks or whatever.
2: It's looked at as a sculpture, I think, more than a toy. Yeah, so I, I see. That's I think that's one of my large disconnects with this.
0: Well, this all goes back to the the question of well, what's a toy? What makes something a toy versus you
2: can play with it?
0: Yeah, a design object, right? The universal kind of this, this is where it becomes a toy is once you insert articulation. Some people say, well, it's made in plastic, so it's obviously a toy, it like, but really, to me, it's once you put that articulation in, it becomes a toy, it's a plaything at that point. Some of the cause figures, yes, they do have articulation, but he's marketing that thing as. A design object that can be put in your home now some people still do this they put tons of them together but generally a lot of people are displaying that as like a piece that's on its own on like a shelf by itself you know it's like a in addition to your home versus like a toy where there'd be like you know 50 dunnies all in one spot and everybody's got them lined up and they want to put as many as they can in one location
2: right it's held in a higher regard almost
0: so like the cub a figure that we produce has zero articulation is it a toy or is it a sculpture i don't know it's really how you market it right
1: yeah i don't think any of them are really toys anybody considers them toys. I think it's just the term that was coined, you know, art toy, designer toy, and everybody just says toys.
0: But I think there's something there's something different between like a three inch dunny and a and a cause piece. Like a three inch dunny feels much more like a plaything than a cause companion. A
2: few hundred dollar clothes companion. Right.
0: But it's not even just the dollar amount behind it. It's the kind of the weight and the design behind it. You know, a dunny feels much more like something you would get, you know, from even like a happy meal. And at this point a sonic kids meal, you know, but it is still a design object where it has like a cool design. I don't know. It's 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 a, a line that we've a lot of people have tried to answer, but I can't tell you that there's a definitive answer either way. It's what a toy is, what makes these toys different from the toys you buy at Target. You know, it, like it's, it's not an easy thing to describe. My personal thing is a designer toy to me is an, is a toy that's being marketed based on the artist that created the item itself or designed the item. Whereas like a, a normal toy would be something like, you know, you go buy a, a x-men figure and it doesn't tell you who sculpted or who did anything behind it except for hasbro made. right but
2: but with that said the same thing happens with a lot of these artist toys because mm-hmm. just because the per- it's based on like say my character that person who sculpted it 3d rendered it did all that stuff they don't get any credit for it no it that's just manufacturing s- aspect right, of it though right
0: right that's something though that is uniquely different for most designer toy companies if you look at the bottom of the box it will say who sculpted it uh, if different people had a hand in it, most people do include it.
1: Name one that's done that.
0: Flip over my box. <laughs>
1: uh, Kid Robot does it sometimes when they use Big Shot.
0: And Kid Robot also still on every one says, Designed by Tristan Eaton on every Dunny.
2: Well, that's really, but but that's, but that's the sculpt of the original figure. Well, he
0: didn't do the, the sculpt of the original figure. He did the design for the original figure. Somebody else sculpted it.
2: Okay. Perfect. Perfect example. We just had on Josh, right? Yes. He, he worked for Kid Robot. Did he get credit for every Kid Robot thing that was put out that he worked on? no exactly
1: he's an in-house designer right
2: so that's what i'm saying is, is this, this that product view of it loses value for me
3: yeah it's got to be a, an affordable artist sculpture of this sort like you're getting a mini version of like a piece of that artist but a more affordable version of it because it's made out of resin it's not a big concrete sculpture
2: yeah i, I don't know like i said this is this has been my my thorn in my side since we started doing the show and before that so
3: Do you guys know of, I think it was in 2010, I remember seeing some sort of documentary or video, it was about uh, some toy store, some res, like a toy cube maybe, they were producing this this sharky character. Yeah, I remember that. And it was like a video back and forth from the artist going to China, maybe. I forgot exactly the details, but that inspired me, gave me a little perspective about it. Whereas like the artist does have his hand in it. It's like they're just making an affordable version of that sculpture that the artist wants to make. It's it's still like the artist's work.
1: It's going to vary from producer to producer how much the artist is involved. Okay, You may never know just from looking at the toy.
3: The guy was like, yeah, I want the tongue bigger. Make the teeth pointing out this much more and like he was sitting there with the guy making it and the guy was also sculpting it i think it wasn't like a 3d render right right yeah he
1: i think it was hand sculpted in that documentary
0: but also too you know some artists may not have command of the medium right so like a good example is for 3d retro they released a toy that was king gordo which is jim mckenzie's dog and he sculpted that figure and designed everything around it so i mean it's like a Some artists are capable of doing that and others, you know, they, they they're able to do their 2d design, but they're not able to do the 3d. So they pass that off to somebody that can sculpt or do a digital interpretation of the design. Right. But throughout that process, they're providing feedback based on, no, I need it to be more like this. And maybe they're passing sketches back and forth to like correctly do it. So, I mean, it's to say like, we're going to pass it off and nothing gets, and it's just like, that's the end of it. That isn't always the case. Now, sometimes with bigger companies, I think that's more than likely the case, Um, but with, you know, smaller companies and smaller artists, I think it's a lot more hand on hands on than say like kid robot. A great example. I don't have a staff to do all that stuff for me and I have zero talent, so (laughs) I have to rely on people.
1: The artist has to help out. Yeah, they have to help out. So
3: it's almost like the projector theory. Like if you can't do that shit, don't do it. You can't sculpt your own toy. Why are you going to make a toy?
2: I didn't say it, he said it.
0: (laughs) But I think some of that is a a merchandising aspect, right? You know, it's like, I want to be able to make another product that I can sell via my store at a table at a booth or whatever, and this is how I'm going to do it.
2: Right, but I think that's where a big disconnect also happens is because looking at certain kind of artwork growing up and, and, you know, oil painters and and whatever, people who only showed in galleries, those were people who were kind of looked at as artists in, in that kind of realm. Nowadays, artists want to have things that's almost like a checklist of, you know, I got my prints, I got my shirts, I got my toy, I got my pins, I got my, I got my store built up. So is that the way that like artists are now viewed and kind of expected to be?
1: If you want to be able to do art as a career and you can't sell $5,000 paintings every couple of weeks or every week, I think you have to if, that, if you don't want to do a day job and you just want to do art and just your own products. Yeah, you have to become a brand essentially.
2: Yeah, and is that, I mean, is that kind of just the collector's market we're in? Because I mean, you know, I have, you know, like Venge, who I used to paint with all the time. He focuses mo- mostly on his oil painting now. And he's painting, you know, paintings of birds and he sells them for a couple thousand, you know, a piece. He's a living artist, but he's mm-hmm. never, but he doesn't have a toy out. He doesn't have. Shirts. He doesn't have pins. So, I think the question is for me when it comes to a lot of this stuff: is what is that kind of like? Are there like different? Is art kind of sectioned off in certain little groups now that it's so specific? You know, because for example, say like we were talking earlier about people who took over like the designer con Instagram. Out of six people, you know, I know who three of those artists are, but meanwhile, those other three are you know living and working in the same Mm -hmm. genre that those other three that I know who they are,
1: are.
0: You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of people out there, Chris. I, I know, but the thing but, is...
1: Yeah, I agree. There's like micro markets and I think micro art scenes and there's so many different people doing art and seeing, you can see so many different art that, yeah, you're not going to know who I would think... 90 plus percent of the artists
0: are. But isn't that the same issue with, you know, the music industry or anything? Because there is access to all this stuff now, it's hard to discover or hard to find new things because there's so much noise. Hmm.
2: So so much visual pollution, is that what it is? You know, how
0: many, how many people do you follow on Instagram, right? And like people across the board follow. I mean, there's all the Instagram algorithms and all this stuff, but it's just like a constant wall of stuff. And then every now and then something pops up in your feed that you're like, wow, look at that thing. You know, like just finding that thing through the noise that's out there the, on the internet because there's just so much content coming to you at all times. Filtering through that noise can be difficult.
2: Yeah, I guess. Sorry, Tilly ran off on a different tangent. I apologize.
0: I think it was good co- good conversation. People are going to enjoy controversy.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> so, below, you were born and raised in New York or? Yeah, yeah, in Queens. How do you feel about everything that's changed in the past few years?
0: Uh,
2: I'm ready to move to Florida, man. i'll be
3: honest
1: with you (laughs) that's what everybody says that gets on this podcast
0: it's a
3: it's a love-hate relationship yeah i feel like i don't have the same market down here at all you know i wouldn't be able to take the same approaches to get out there as i do in new york so there's great aspects about it i I love new york i love doing shit there every like three months i put together my own kind of like show every four months every you know every few times a year like I wouldn't be able to do that here
2: well you know what I speak about that the the pop-ups that you do because they're i mean you do them pretty often and they do really well, so if you can explain those to people because i there's a lot of people that I don't think understand what pop-ups are still
3: yeah, I see a lot of them more and more, and it it uh it skews the the meaning of it, but I know like big clothing brands and stuff will do that to maybe you know show their their up and coming collection that isn't out on in stores yet. And kind of like to get a taste of their stuff. And they'll only have samples. Or a new brand will do it just for brand awareness. And I was doing it really for brand awareness to get my clothing out there. Like for people that see it online that don't have the confidence to purchase it. um, Are now seeing it in store and are buying it. Also, passerbys will, you know, come and enjoy everything.
2: So what do you do? You rent
3: the space for Yeah. So I've rented spaces out for like... A day a weekend or a week depending on the price and location and within an hour to two hours max i just set up the whole place like it's my store put shelves up and line racks up i i usually kind of split it half and half with my artwork and my clothes it's like i just take it as like i'm making my own store for however long i'm here like how i would want to walk into it how i would want my store to look like and they're usually they usually go really well i've had people that have seen like my monkey sticker in manhattan and i have they didn't know who i was so i'm sitting outside having a cigarette and they'll walk by and they're like oh this is a below key thing like let's see is it just like that monkey and so they go in and they're like oh no it's a lot more than that so I, i think that's what what it is about it that that's why i do it you know to like get people to see all the
2: shit i make all the time that's awesome. I mean, uh, Travis, Corey, you guys, I don't know, like, do they do that,
1: that kind of stuff by you guys? or?
0: Yeah, pop-up shops are kind of a thing here. Not as prevalent, probably, as in New York, but, you know, companies and brands do do them.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, we, we've been seeing it quite a bit more here. You could probably do them here, man, if you ended up down here. theres They got a place, it's called The Factory, opening up, and it's like this giant warehouse space that's going to have, like, open art studios and then pop-up spots, and all the breweries We'll do pop-ups and stuff, too, with different people. And I think there's, like, three or four monthly pop-up indie things that artists go to. So there's quite a bit here.
3: Yeah, I've noticed. And what I would probably pay most of my attention on is, like, being down here once things are back to normal. If I was going to try and attempt anything artistically down here is there's so many of these art festivals in, like, the parks and stuff. Like, $30, like, set up a whole table and tent and, you know, Mm -hmm. just go back to those basically.
0: I think also too, um, you know, as retail has kind of drifted away from people having physical locations, I think a lot of companies are using those as like a meet the supporters type situations. They do the pop-up to have a store for a weekend or you know a month even if they're, you know, don't have a whole month or whatever. And They use it as just a way to get out and about with their collectors and people.
3: The one thing I would say as far as like getting out here as an artist, here as in Florida, my approach when I'm ready to put like an event on or try and sell my things as far as either a pop-up or I'm going to be in a few shows or whatever it is. I I like to guerrilla advertise a little bit before that and just make, create value again for what I'm doing, like in little spurts. Like I go a few months without really putting things out there, but then I do. And I just try to fucking put stickers and wheat paste everywhere or some kind of, I guess like a campaign. Like I was doing, I was hanging little wooden cutouts on cables in Manhattan Putting up a bunch of wheat pastes or I don't know, different things. And then do an event. So in a way, the way I see it is like, oh, I'm creating the buzz again right before I'm gonna do something. I'm giving I'm adding value right. to like this meaningless character that I create and and then I'll have an event where there'll be a bigger draw than if I just like having a show and nobody knows who the hell it is.
2: That's smart. It's a smart approach.
3: That's like the only way I know.
0: And so we were, you kind of rolled into the, the sticker phase. Do you do a lot of like printed stickers or are you doing a lot of hand done, you know, like postal stickers and stuff like that?
3: Um, lately, for the sake of money, I've been hand drawing them. Prior to that, I used Stickerfy and I got, I think, 2,000 stickers. And then a month later, I, got, I, I ran out and I got 3,000, uh, put all those up and that was it
0: for printed uh-huh. stickers for me. Shout out to the sponsor. Yeah, he's, mm-hmm. he's good. He's a good guy. He had printed a
2: of that we did. Oh yeah, and that. Yeah, those those are fun. Those stickers in in my
3: neighborhood, I was putting them up, mm-hmm. and somebody was going up to them and just scratching off my face
2: and was leaving their face on it. Oh, I thought it was the greatest thing, honestly. They're
0: like we're not touching Chris. Yeah,
2: yeah. And those and those stickers were a pain the ass to put up because they would die cut. <laughs> yep. It was funny because I've had stickers over the years where people just scratch out the kill part. Like they just have an issue with the word kill. And they just scratch out that part, and they leave the whole rest of the sticker. And it's just like, oh, okay, no yeah. problem. <laughs> what the fuck?
0: Robots will dot dot dot.
2: People are walking around like, do what? What <laughs> exactly. are they gonna do? <laughs> Finish your sentence, damn
0: it! So when you're doing the uh, hand-drawn stickers, are you what kind of markers are you using?
3: Similar to what? chris uses just the oil base marker to outline and sometimes acrylic paint to just do a quick fill in of the character sometimes a prismacolor even though i know they will fade off very fast just to get some color in there and i have found not uni but it's some sort of uh, like broad chisel tip light color like a yellow oil base for my fill in and then i just got to stack them all up wait for those to dry and then go into outlining them so it's like a little assembly line process
2: take silk screening
3: <laughs> yeah yeah nice and then just finding the biggest bang for my buck for eggshell stickers blanks and doing that travis you remember what the eggshell stickers all right
0: yeah all right the ones that are like super heat resistant there you go and if you use a water-based marker it won't stick for very long i'm
2: proud, I'm proud of you
3: and
0: if you use a if you use a crayle, a washable it won't last very long at all
3: not not at all and nice. if you're giving them out you have to forewarn someone oh, to
1: yeah.
2: if you're putting this on your laptop it'll never come off so that's one of the funniest things is how many people, kind of expect a sticker to travel with like anything they own. It's like, right. it's like, well, I thought I could just take it off and put it on my next laptop. It's like, um, sure, it's not going to curl on the edges even if it's vinyl. Go ahead,
1: try it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's happened. That happened to me. I had sold my old laptop and I was peeling all the stickers off. I was like, holy shit. Well, you don't want to get rid of the ICP stickers.
2: I mean, you gotta. Make sure you keep the Hatchet Man sticker, right? But don't. Oh yeah, Those those don't get put
1: on anything. They're in a special drawer.
2: All right. Nah, no, it's it's funny. It's like people think that it's like you know, you bought the sticker once and you should just be able to re- re- reapply it to places.
0: That's called a fathead. Is it a real term? Yeah, like those things for like baseball players or basketball players or like sports logos.
2: Oh
3: yeah.
0: You can like put it up on the wall. You can peel it off, move it around.
2: It's like a non-permanent adhesive sticker. Yeah. Oh, the thing for like kids' rooms and shit like that, like the Iron Man breaking through the wall and shit. Gotcha. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So what we need to do is make giant robots of that.
2: There's actually a company who makes those now. They just did a rhyme piece. Oh, I saw that. That was cool. (sighs) Mm, i forget the name of it the one i'm talking about it's called hello editions they did rhyme pieces they've done sp1 pieces um i think they did queen andrea pieces too
3: good idea chris you should do that
2: <laughs> I, w- I would like one of those it, it, well it's funny i appreciate that thank you but years ago dave from peel magazine he worked for a company that made those but the problem is is like back then the printing quality for the size was not great because mm you know first off, the large format printers it was huge you know you'd have to print them like a you know five foot six foot tall robot so like you know unless you're working with a super clean printer you know which they'd make now it, it just didn't look right because it just had yeah, like you would see like the a, lines through it yeah like the blur like the little like kind of pixelation blur but mm-hmm. now the new the newer printers i mean it's insane those rhyme pieces i mean they look like real pieces on the wall yeah that was really cool
1: uh, i'm looking at it now It looks awesome yeah. And it was cool They're too. A well, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, I get it.
2: But, but I mean, you saw like that one was based on an actual piece he did, so it was like, yeah. How did they translate that? That's really good Photoshop work. Yeah, super high res uh, photos. <laughs> and
3: it was like on It was like on a rough surface. It's not like just on a white background, right? Yeah, I think it was on like
1: a cinder block wall or something.
3: Yeah, so they translated that to uh, design really well.
1: Yeah. I'm on their their site, it shows it him drawing it out on like a white background. Oh, so
2: he he must
1: have replicated uh, it. Yeah.
2: See that? That's what this
1: podcast is all about, learning about new
2: food and new stuff. Oh, can can yeah. we mm-hmm. can we talk about the UFO sighting
3: that was confirmed?
2: Yeah, you know, I was gonna say that that was something I wanted to mention. You guys saw that, right? So apparently those photos are actually from two thousand and four? Four or fourteen or something. Yeah, I don't know. And the, and those photos were released already by, like...
0: To the Stars Media.
2: And that's the guy from Blink-182, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, that's his, like, uh, group that he started afterwards. And if you go to their website, you can buy stock in it. And also, there's, like, 50 people that have worked, you know, DOD or high-level areas that are involved in the company. And uh, Tom DeLong claims that he's, you know, going to ease the public into, you know, aliens. And he's doing that by releasing information, writing books, comic books... Creating music, creating uh, you know like full-on media stuff, and then uh, also releasing images. He's, he's,
2: he's basically dumbing it down for society. Is that what it is?
0: Basically, and then there's a show on the History Channel that he has.
2: All right, what is everybody's thoughts on this? Because I gotta hear. Oh, I mean, I be- I believe in aliens. I
3: feel like it should be getting more attention because our our government or whatever officials that are in charge of that are are saying it's real footage of ufos
0: an aerial phenomenon is what they're calling it
2: so now you don't you don't think this is a distraction thrown out there now because everything going on of course they're distracting is. us from the coronavirus
3: that's a distraction to con- to distract us from something else that's <laughs> some <laughs> from, other shit from, from 5g <laughs> for from from the... <laughs> 5g exactly i mean we'll never know
1: well, This this was one of trump's promises right he said if he gets elected and there's ufos he's telling everybody Okay.
0: Instead, they had Tom belong to it. Everybody's going to listen to him. Then I go listen to him. You, you know, um, I don't think Tom's hurting anybody. Just let him do what he's doing. As long as he's not like releasing classified footage, he's not allowed to do. I guess that's fine, right? I just think it's it's
2: crazy to think that you know all this stuff has kind of been you know rumored and 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 spoken about for years, but it literally takes a pop punk guy to release it and people kind of start taking it more serious.
0: Yeah, I mean, I th- I, I will say that I think most people thought he was kind of nutso. And didn't really, you know, if you listen to his episode on Joe Rogan, I think he sounds a little crazy, like he's lost, you know, something's missing, right? Like going on there. But uh, them confirming it, I guess, confirms exactly what he's been talking about for years. And now it's like, well, maybe he's not crazy. You know, maybe he's, you know, really is working with the government to release this information because people will be able to digest it easier from somebody that's quote unquote famous. You know, I I don't know. But I don't know that that video proves that there's an alien, but it does prove that something weird happened right then. You know what I'm saying?
3: I wanted to see it like shooting around fast. I, I was expecting a lot more.
0: It's definitely not moving in a normal, like, aircraft, you know, kind of motion. Uh-huh. We'll see what kind of continues here because apparently there's multiple footage that's going to be released if you just listen to Tom. So his Joe Rogan episode is very informative. And it came out like, I don't know, like three years ago. Like, it was a while ago.
2: Informative or entertaining? Which one?
0: Well it depends on where you're at. If you believe his cause it's very informative. Well,
2: I, I agree. I'm only joking. All
0: I know is, is uh, you know, it's like for Tom, if this is what he wants to do, just do that. Don't come back, try to make music. You know, just go do that part. Just focus on one thing.
2: Wait, you don't want to hear "Angels and Airwaves"?
0: Um, if, if you've heard the first two albums, all subsequent albums are exactly the same. So don't worry.
2: It's one. It's one giant slowed down Blink to ballad with
0: a lot of you know kind of effect effects pedals being used. <laughs>
2: So, blow with the pattern work and everything you do. How exactly do you accomplish that? In the sense of, is it piece by piece, and you're just letting everything dry, or what do you mean? So, like you, you do, you'll do like a lot of pieces with like pattern work in like the clothing or in the backgrounds and stuff like that. How do you approach doing like so many patterns and kind of not going crazy? Because like for me, like I know like when I start a piece, you know, it's like putting it to the side and letting it dry is like one of the most like daunting feelings because it says like you want to work on it. Yeah, like you're in the groove. You don't want to. Right.
3: I think. Working on multiple pieces at a time, let me do that, putting one to the side to dry while I go back to another one. Also, just working in like sections, I think still how I paint is like how I do graffiti where it's just make a shape, fill it in, outline it. It's not a lot of blending and, you know, real. So it's just, it's that approach, like fill in a shape, put in the patterns. If I'm going to put some effects in it, move on to another shape, fill in that shape. Now the other one is dried. Go back to that
2: one okay so almost like an assembly line kind of feeling yeah yeah i guess just because i you know there's so many patterns and so many so many of the pieces that it would drive me nuts i think a big part of
3: painting is patience like a really big part of it because i think that that's how i've gotten a little bit stronger at painting is just not thinking i'm gonna get it done fast like knowing that it's gonna take me all day to do a piece even though it doesn't look like it did
2: all right so for example there was a, a, a newer piece that you posted where it was just like a simple colored blended background, but then there was a multiple different heads on it. And those multiple different heads all kind of had repeating colors. Are you laying in those colors? You, you know, do you sketch out each head and then layer in each one of those colors first? I don't think I did those
3: first. I think I just did the background and then I just painted the characters over it. Oh, really? That's, yeah. That's awesome. Like approach it like uh, you're making like a dot pattern, except it's a face instead of a dot. Okay. Try to keep somewhat of an equal space around each one, and that kind of just formed a decent pattern to it. Yeah, because the repetition and the consistency is incredible with them. I think I got that from just, like, drawing dots. You know who inspired that a lot? Send 2. I remember I worked in the South Bronx in a studio. I was screen printing, and he was right across the hall.
2: Oh, wow. Nice. And uh,
3: I got, I got to walk in there and he was like so cool and like letting me see his process and explaining to me what he was doing. And he has a lot of that pop art, like dot effect, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to not like, I wanted to just be able to do that, like be able to just paint it, not like tape off and, you know, mask things. And like, he he did it, he did what he did really well, but I'm always like, I want to be able to do it myself. And I'm like picky about how I do it. So doing dots in spray painted shit and then doing patterns that that change to like let the characters become those dots instead of just dots and then taking over a whole canvas from there
2: that's awesome he's a really good dude i I like Zen too he's a good dude. hell yeah he's always funny (laughs) i didn't Uh, understand anything he said really (laughs) but but he was really cool yeah he's got he's got that that thick puerto rican accent i think (laughs) He's, he's a funny guy yeah, cause I know that there's some of those pieces where you just do those repeated heads and it's just, it's fucking mind boggling. It looks like a screen print. Like that's how consistent they are. I love my, that.
3: My girlfriend tells me that and I, I don't see it, but she's like, people think you're printing your stuff. You got to show them how you're painting it.
2: Uh, she's right, especially <laughs> like there was one piece. I know there was another one where it was, it was like a gray background with, with yellow heads. I think the, the consistency with the, the yellow look like, like a stencil or screen printed. And it was just so consistent. and that's just so impressive because it's like it's like a muscle memory thing,
3: yeah, yeah, it is. like I said, like from drawing a dot pattern, it's like the exact same mode. And I do it on an angle. Like I start, at, let's say the top left, and I just go down on an angle and draw like the next one mm. And I create like an like a diagonal row of these faces. And then when I go to do the next diagonal row right next to it, I know it's, I know where to start the first one and you just keep that going. And then you have your pattern from there. Like as long as you follow that first
2: line, then you're good. The rest of them. It's impressive. It's definitely cool. Thank you. And, and I definitely think you should show the process because it does, they do look screen printed or, or stenciled. It's crazy.
0: Well, guys, we've been talking for a while, so let's go ahead and start to wrap this episode up. Beloki, if you want to go ahead and let the listeners know where they can find you and your work.
3: Well, thank you for having me very much. Beloki.com and at belowkey key on Instagram. That's, that's where you can see my stuff. And Chris,
2: uh, first, I just want to say thank you to everybody who picked up the print, and uh, you can find me at Chris RWK and at
1: RobotsWillKill. And Corey, uh, Strange Cat Toys on all the social medias and StrangeCatToys.com.
0: And I'm Travis Likens. You can find me at UVD Toys on all social media or UVDToys.com. Uh, but first, we want to take a second to say thank you to our sponsors again. The first up is Stickerfied, Stickerfied.com. SDPrints, SDScreenPrinting.net. SD Prints, No Love City, NoLoveCity dot and T Y O Toys ty2otoys.com. This has been the Urban Robot Cat Podcast, the show about art and the people who make it.